0: Welcome back. You're watching Trade of the Week. Now, for today's segment, I'm joined by founder at Herania Capital, Piatu Yerling Ace, for a technical analysis on Glencore, Anglo-American, as well as a Bidvest. Piatu, always a pleasure. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for having me. Fantastic. Let's get right into it. I want to start with the miners, uh, because while we're seeing this commodity cycle, a downturn, and I'm wondering uh, exactly what you're looking at with regards to them. Let's start with the Anglos. Uh, There's a lot happening within that stable.
1: Okay, so I'm looking at the future. I mm. think this is something that we've spoken about a few times mm-hmm. before where we're um, essentially... All right, so let me paint a b- mm-hmm. b- bit of context here first. So I think what we're, hap- what we're starting to see is we're starting to see the end of the rate hiking cycle. Yep. So if we're not at the exact top yet, we are fairly close to it. So I think... Most uh, analysts are expecting an interest rate cut sort of in the first quarter of next year coming from the U.S. Uh, and if that is the case, we can lean on history and see that uh, in history, whenever an interest rate hiking cycle ends and we go into a cutting cycle, markets tend to come under tremendous amounts of pressure. So... Uh, I've been recommending gold on the show for some time now. I think uh, uh, New Gold was one of the preferred ETFs. Anglo Gold is uh, one of the preferred stocks. Uh, So I still stand by those, and I still think that those are good Mm -hmm. um, sort of opportunities, particularly if we're heading into this uh, economic slowdown type scenario that we're anticipating, right? Um, So if we look even further into the future, Mm -hmm. this is why I'm starting to get interested in uh, commodities, particularly copper. Okay. For a couple of reasons. One, it does not seem that the Western world is backing down on their uh, green energy transformation, even though uh, some countries have now pledged to triple nuclear power output. So this is something that we've spoken about also Mm -hmm. many, many months ago. Uranium and uranium-orientated investments is probably uh, really what's going to drive the green energy transition. Uh, But for now, it seems that the U.S. at least is doubling down on... um, you know, solar and wind and those types of things. These require an enormous amount of copper. Yeah. Uh, if we then also look at, um, you know, for example, the 2026, 2025 sort of area, we assume that by then we've moved through the uh, sort of global slowdown. Uh, we are then expecting essentially copper demand to start increasing as China continues to come alive. It's estimated that by 2030 to 2032, somewhere, copper demand will be some 75% higher than it is today, with output not really budging, which means what? Higher copper prices, Mm. right? So two access points that we can get copper or exposure to that idea over the long term uh, within the South African market, For the ones that we're looking Mm. at are Glencore, uh, that have a number of copper assets, including smelters and the rest, an Anglo American PLC, which mm-hmm. obviously have a number of copper mines. So, those are the two, so that's the fundamental backdrop mm-hmm. for these two. Okay. So, which stock do you want to look at from a technical perspective first?
0: I want to start looking at Anglos.
1: Okay, Anglos yeah. looks a little bit better than Glencore. Okay. I'm glad we're starting there. Uh, so, let me just quickly have a look at that. So, there's a number of <coughs> different things here. So, uh, just looking at enough data, what we have essentially, and I'll just draw some lines here as I go, mm-hmm. uh, is essentially a bit of a downtrend. That seems to have, or oh, that seems to have broken. I'll make it bright and I'll make it pink so we can see it. Okay. Um, so I think that that downtrend has essentially broken. We've also kind of uh, been around this zone here, and I'll draw this in the shape of a box, um, rather than an uh, exact level. So this little area here, we've seen historically has been quite a bit of support. So we're sort of turning from a support level, breaking a downtrend. And then if we look at our two moving averages here, which is a 20-day moving average, the green, and an 89-day moving average is the orange, we're starting to see the potential of a uh, moving average crossover here. Let me just make this a bit bigger so you can see. Uh, as a bit of a moving average crossover there, or a, um, essentially a buy signal, mm-hmm. right? So from a number of different things that we look at this chart, we see uh, essentially one confirmation that we've now essentially made a bit of a higher high here, Not quite on a closing basis yet, but at least this morning it opened slightly higher, so we're potentially making a new high here. Uh, If we can kind of consolidate here or maybe push a little beyond and make a higher low, Mm -hmm. that would be a a sort of a trend confirmation or a Dow theory confirmation that we're entering into bull market. We've got a breaking of the downtrend, we've got a moving average bullish crossover, uh, and then we've got this fancy fundamental backstory that uh, essentially copper demand is expected to increase significantly without output or mm-hmm. production of copper increasing all that much so copper prices should be higher and of course the copper miners are going to benefit from that
0: well, what is more interesting if you look at a, a miner like anglos uh, they are diversified there's lots of things happening in there uh, there's platinum for instance uh, there's uh, iron ore uh, are we expecting that what could happen with a uh, copper would benefit the stock uh, much more than what could be happening with the other things that are in the portfolio
1: look yeah so if you look at platinum for example that's had a bit of a rough time and i think that even i've burnt my fingers a few times trying to catch the bottom on those right Mm -hmm. um so yes you'd have to you'd have to outweigh the benefit from one to the other look most of the platinum holdings for anglos is not anglo-american plats Mm. Um, but they do are you know they are still quite diversified in 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 other minerals and, and metals and so on um I do think, however, that once we get to the point where um, we've moved through this slowdown period, and I think two things are going to happen, uh, and you know, maybe putting my neck on the line here a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, almost use a completely different phrase. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I think what happens is we see the Western world slow down mm-hmm. meaningfully from an economic standpoint, but the eastern side of the world, the BRICS nations, Uh, not slow down as much, as we're starting to see that real disconnect between, uh, you know, NATO nations, the U.S., uh, North, uh, Northern, uh, you know, uh, Europe, North America, those types of places are really struggling to contain inflation and have to, well, have been struggling to contain inflation and have had to really hike interest rates quite a bit. As we're on the other side of the equation China, for example, has been struggling to get inflation going mm-hmm. and has had to stimulate. Yeah. Right? So I think that we're starting to see that divergence. So we probably see quite a bit of growth coming from the BRICS nations, which spurs your commodity demand um, with a bit of contraction uh, from the consumer-based economies um, in the US. So yes, these two are quite dependent on each other. Chimerica is wha- how, how Chimerica. it's called. <laughs> um, but I do think that you know, there are a number of other projects, particularly investments in Africa, investments in China, that are going to uh, continue to demand large amounts of, of input materials or, or resources or metals. Right. So I think that this sort of Chinese growth story over U.S. growth. So, you know, with as that divergence grows, I think we see an increase in demand for essentially minerals and, and metals.
0: So let's move over now to Glencore. Uh, now, Glencore actually decided to retain their coal production, uh, but of course, while they're also a uh, transition. It's a very interesting one here, uh, also because of just what happened with tech, right? We never, well, I didn't expect this to actually uh, end up in a deal. But when we look at their copper assets, uh, pastry, what is happening uh, there at Glencore?
1: So again, uh you know, I think that this is kind of just riding the wave, if you will. Uh, I think that they have slightly more exposure to the copper industry in the form of smelters and that kind of stuff, uh, to what someone like Anglos has that only basically mines the stuff. Uh, so they're in that beneficiation game and can make a bit more margin on, um, on copper once the price starts moving slightly higher. And we can also see, uh, unfortunately I don't have that chart here now, uh, but if you look at a sort of long-term chart of copper, um, It tends to bottom out and start its upward trajectory during times of recession. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the price of copper has come down significantly. Uh, If we are entering into a recession, that is sort of now the time that we've seen over the last number of decades that this is kind of the turning point for the copper price. So I think that they stand to benefit quite well from that uh, should this go. Now, admittedly, this chart does not look nearly as enticing as the Mm Anglo-American one, but this is more of a long-term, you know, we're backing that. Uh, long-term copper price idea Mm -hmm. uh, rather than trying to, you know, take a technical trade. As with the Anglo's one, it's very nice technical. You can put a decent stop loss on that. As we're here, you're kind of buying it uh, and you have to stop out here, say, below 95, which is (laughs) a long, long way down. Uh, So you are potentially just taking a smaller position, holding it for a much longer period of time.
0: I must ask you, though, I mean, uh, if you have to If you have to choose between uh, Glencore and Anglos, um, in my mind, also just thinking of balance sheet size, management, uh, you know, uh, do you have a favorite? No. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) we've
1: (laughs) allocated an equal um, sort of allocation in percentage terms of the portfolio to each of them. Mm -hmm. So that we are kind of equally weighted in the two of them so that we don't have to pick Mm favorites. You know, one might run more than the other. I suspect... Uh, just from a pure momentum perspective. In the, sh- in the shorter term, Anglo-American might outperform. But I think over the next five or so years, Glencore might overperform, uh, Might outperform. So, you know, I don't really want to be picking favorites at this point. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, let's move over now to Bitfest. And uh, the reason why Bitvest, I think, I wanted to leave them for last is because they recently, uh, you know, reached a set of numbers. Markets were not too happy on them, but... BitVest is BitVest. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) So we actually saw the CEO come out and say, look, the market's overreacted. Mm. Um, Yes, it's tough. Yes, there's less demand for renewables in the sort of uh, retail space or whatever you want to call it, and that's obviously affecting their sales and the consumers facing headwinds. But the reaction that this share price had, and if you can have a look at this chart here, Mm. was massive. I mean, we can just measure that, uh, if you will, and that's a 13% drop, Mm. right? So... Um, or roughly 13%. So um, the CEO actually came out and said, well, look, guys, you're, you're overreacting, <laughs> right? This is maybe a little uh, too far. So I think that, you know, potentially he's right. And I'm looking at this chart as well. And I'll draw in my little levels here for you. So here we have a really, really solid level at around the 235 we can actually make this, rather than a, a you know, specific line, we can actually make that one of those sort of zones or boxes as well. Um, but for the sake of simplicity, I've drawn the line. Um, so I think that this is a good opportunity for the more speculative trader mm-hmm. um, to pick up. So you've got two options here. You can take a small allocation of, say, one5 to 2% of your portfolio, uh, into Bitvest here, for, as if you're a long-term investor, or you can take the the um, high-probability trade set up on a CFD position, for for example, which I'm assuming is what most people are interested in. <laughs> that's watching this show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got a very nice little risk-reward here. I mean, you can kind of stop out, uh, say, 230 rand as your stop loss, so you'd stop out uh, sort of around there. I'll make that red, uh, and your potential target is, you know, pre-news highs. Well, not pre-news highs, but pre-news levels. Mm-hmm. So that's a massive risk-reward ratio. Yeah. right? So you could actually have a fairly decent uh, leverage trade in this, and you don't have to take an enormous amount of risk. So you're risking about 7 Rand to make you know, uh, sort of 40. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's fairly decent. And I think this is a nice little uh, high-probability technical trade. Mm-hmm.
0: What's also interesting about this and, uh, you know, the issue of the overreaction, uh, PHG often when we speak of Bitvest, we, we like it because it's so diversified, not only in terms of industries, um, even geographically, right? They've made those efforts here. Uh, so when investors uh, were then, uh, you know, I think last week or the week before, uh, were driving this share price down, uh, I'm wondering if that also had anything to do with SA Inc. more than Bitvest. Look, to an extent,
1: I suppose that's a good question. Um, I think what happens is, or what's happening is, uh, and I'm sure that you've heard this complaint <laughs> many times before, um, our market is becoming less and less liquid. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of bad news uh, and a little bit of panic, and those international buyers that would take advantage of that um, and you know, step in and sort of act as the backstop and buy what the retail guys are panic selling – Um, they're not there anymore, (laughs) right? So Mm -hmm. trading volumes are relatively low. So in other words, uh, when news-driven events come and the market reacts emotionally, uh, you have exaggerated moves, Mm -hmm. which I think is probably the case here. I mean, yes, SA Inc. is, um, you know, not the greatest place uh, to be at the moment, but uh, at the same time, do you really think that in five years from now, you know, everything would have gone to Mm naught? think maybe it might be a little worse, but I think probabilistically it might be quite a bit better. Mm, mm. So yes, ESSA Inc. has its challenges, um, but I do think that we as the everyday South African tend to you know, overcome whatever the obstacles mm-hmm. you know, are thrown at us. I don't think that we need to be that bearish yeah. on South Africa, yeah, yeah. is kind of what I'm getting at.
0: Is there opportunity for further diversification uh, for Budvest uh, geographically? <laughs> Yeah, I think
1: potentially, I mean, they could continue to, to, um, you know, expand into Africa or whatever the case Mm is. Uh, I think for now, what most companies are focusing on um, and should be focusing on really is containing costs. So, before we start doing acquisitions and expanding moves and spending a lot of capex on um, trying to grow into new geographic areas and diversify and all that kind of thing, let's rather just focus our attention on containing costs, Mm -hmm. making sure that uh, the operations that we have are running profitably and smoothly, uh, and overcoming the sort of challenges that we have. I mean, before you find a new market to trade in, maybe just get a generator to keep your factory going, right? <laughs> no. So those are, those are, I think, the, the where the real opportunities are gonna be, is yes, there's opportunity to grow outside of your borders, always, um, but I think uh, right now most companies are kind of in survival mode, mm-hmm. and I think that if they can nail that, and what we've seen companies do all the time, is during the hard times, they get really, really lean Mm. uh, and run really efficiently. And then when the good times come, margins expand massively. So I think that, yes, in the adversity that we face, there's an enormous opportunity to find a way to run your business as efficiently as possible so that when the good times return, you can make good money.
0: What's also interesting about Bidvay is they've got great assets. They've got tourism assets. They've got freight uh, They've got tourism assets. I don't want to mention fate because that's a different story if you're South African at no. present. But in my mind also, I mean, for, what, what renewables are not doing. Uh, tourism mm. in South Africa, that seems to is have made a comeback. And that's been big for Bitvest in the past.
1: Yeah, I read a, uh, I read a story the other day where they said that Cape Town uh, tourism is sort of at an all-time high mm. uh, from you know, international travelers.
0: Interesting.
1: So, uh, yeah, I think we'll mm. see how that goes. And, I mean, like you say, Bitvest is enormously uh, diversified. I mean, you can't even if you go to the bathroom and you wash yeah. your hands, there's a little Bidvest thing there, right? Actually, yeah. So, um, that diversification has saved them quite mm-hmm. a bit in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that, um, mm. you know, heading into season, and I think this is a mm. little educational yes, thing as well, yes. heading into this holiday season might see uh, a lot of the um, you know, hotel groups as well yes. uh, benefit, and we know that Bidvest via some of the services that they offer has quite a bit of exposure to that industry mm-hmm. as well. So, I think that times are not as dire as we hope. Yes. Or not as dire as would seem. sorry. Yes. We hope for... Things are better. Yeah.
0: <laughs> when we speak about seasonality, that's certainly our term of the week uh, at PHE. We often are speaking about, of course, where we are in terms of time. We're going into the festive season, uh, tourism here. But generally, uh, globally, the macroeconomic environment, we're in another season. And I'm wondering how they might all work together. Um, and even from an investor perspective, how do you take stock of all of it?
1: Okay, so seasonality is basically the concept that is at certain times of the year... Uh, Certain types of assets have, uh, uh, you know, certain expected performance or return. Um, So if you look, for example, this type of the 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 term that's going to be thrown around everywhere Mm -hmm. in a couple of weeks is the Santa Claus rally.
0: Yeah, I've already started with it. So
1: there you go. (laughs) So uh, that's seasonality. Yeah. So what we do is we look at historical data and you say, okay, cool. Uh, you know, equity markets, for example, have rallied uh, nine times out of ten or eight times out of ten uh, over the last hundred years during this period and that period. And on average, you know, they have performed this well, done 8% or 2% or whatever the, the return is. And you can do this on every single month, and some people do, um, to give you an expecta- expected return of what the market should do. So we know, for example, uh, April is generally a strong month. December is generally a strong month. Um, Uh, September is generally a weak month, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is like a global phenomenon. So that is essentially seasonality, you know, in a nutshell. Uh, What drives that, for example, what drives the uh, the Santa Rally is essentially people go on holiday. Mm. And, uh, you know, there are all sorts of passive investors that are constantly coming to the market that are investing for the long term. Pension fund investors, companies doing buybacks. So there's always a little bit of a bullish buying bias to the market and if there's not a huge amount of participants in the market market gets a bit thinner it slowly grinds higher in this period between Christmas and New Year right so that tends to happen like clockwork most mm-hmm. years um, and this is you know essentially one of those things that uh, that we co- coin down to seasonality but we also generally sometimes have stronger quarters mm-hmm. uh, so for example once the new year starts uh, we sort of use January as a barometer of how the rest of the year should do. If we've had a strong January, we'll expect a strong year. If we've had a weak January, we expect a weak year, that kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, o- only time will tell, and hopefully we'll catch up again uh, soon, PSU. Always a pleasure having you. That was founder at Herenia Capital, PSU, Vienna Lenghasa, with this week's Trade of the Week.